This week, I was in a meeting with uh, an organization. I'm a trustee of another trust that works with missionaries. And we had a conversation. Uh, Jocelyn and I were there from the UK. We had a few others from the UK. We had some from Australia and some from India. And we were just having a conversation about the work and the move of God. And one of the things that came out quite strongly was a word that we were all familiar with because we were part of an organization that taught this many moons ago. And the word was the word brokenness. Anybody heard of the word brokenness? Okay, yeah, a few of you. We don't hear it much now, have you noticed? Brokenness is not something, uh, pardon me, that we hear much these days. And I want to talk a little bit about brokenness this morning because I think it's really important. God is always at work. Did you know that? God is at work. There are some who believe that God set the world in motion and then pushed it away and now he's busy with something else. He's no longer interested and it just does its own thing. Well, the Bible does not teach that. The Bible tells us that God is at work. He's not stationary. He is not a spectator. God doesn't just sit there, what, say, my, that's bad. God has always been involved in what goes on on this planet. And we know that when we look at the book of Genesis. That God got involved when mankind messed up. He didn't just leave it, he got involved. And throughout history, the work of God has always been done by people that God has chosen. If you look through history, you'll know some of these names. Noah. God used Noah. He was called a preacher of righteousness. They estimate it was some 75 years it took him to build the ark. Wow. Then we know people like Abraham, who was called by God. I was reading this morning about Abraham. His name initially was Abram, and then it became Abraham. And Abraham means father of many. Now, here's the catch. God says, I'm going to change your name from Abraham to Abraham before he even had his son Isaac. Can you imagine? Walking around with the name father of many. How many kids you got? None. That's the whole faith thing. That actually God says and does something before We actually see it in reality. Let me tell you, I've said this time and time again, I'll say it again. Faith works like that. I don't like it. I have to personally say, I don't like it. I very much like the idea, I will believe it when I see it, but let me tell you, that is not how God works. God says, you believe first, and then you will see it. I was reading this morning about the Syro-Phoenician woman whose daughter was demonized. And so she comes up to Jesus, she falls down on her knees, and she says, Jesus, please heal my daughter. And you know Jesus? He says nothing. Absolutely nothing. So she's carrying on. The disciples are saying, you're going to say something to her? And Jesus says this to her. He said, it is not right to take the bread from the children and throw it to the dogs. What he was saying, she was Syrophoenician. They were Jews. Jews thought they were better And he's saying, I'm not going to give what's for the Jews to to another nation. She said, 
But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, for that response, your daughter is now healed. She didn't walk away thinking, hey man, you know, he's not interested. Because let me tell you, Jesus only ever responds in faith. Only ever. You can ask as much as you like, but if there is no faith involved, nothing will happen. Faith trusting that God will do what he has promised. That's what Romans 4, if you want to read about what it means to apply faith, read Romans chapter 4. It's about Abraham and that God said to him, you're going to have a son when he was 75 years old and that promise wasn't fulfilled until he was 100. 25 years he waited and he trusted God the entire time. God looks for people who will believe him. D.L. Moody was set into his ministry because a British evangelist called Henry Varley, I believe, said to him, the world has yet to see what God will do through one person totally consecrated to God. And D.L. Moody says, I want to be that man. I wonder if you want to be that man or that woman. You know, the call of God isn't, I'm going to call Liz, but not Ben, or I'm going to call Natalie and not Delia. God says it's available to everybody if you have faith. You remember the boat situation where Jesus is out walking on the water? I, I mean, I love reading these stories because they blow my mind. There's one boat, he puts the disciples in it, sends them across the water, and then he says, think I'll just walk over the sea and get there myself. And so here's Jesus walking across the water and then he comes to the disciples, they freak out and anything, and then Peter says, Jesus, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, yeah, come on. He jumps over the edge, the water solid, wow, walk Jesus, but then he makes a mistake. He takes his eyes off Jesus he looks at the waves, he looks at the wind, and he starts to sink. And Jesus says, you have little faith. Everything that Jesus requires is wrapped up in the word faith. Jesus went to his hometown where he grew up. He's been doing miracles. He's been raising the dead. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He gets to his own town, and he's, he's there, and he's preaching. They said, we know this dude. That's his brother, that's his other brother, that's his sister, that's his mum. We know him. It's offensive that a carpenter thinks he can preach to us. And it says that he could do very little because of their lack of faith. Think about this for a moment. The Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, is limited by the level of faith that we have. And so I'm challenged. I kind of think, wow, Lord, I need faith. Now, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. What does that mean? Well, number one, you need to read this every single day of your life. It generates faith. Did you know that? You pick up this morning, as I read it, you know, I woke up this morning, I, was, I felt totally inadequate for today. I thought, Lord, how am I going to get through this? So I started my daily Bible reading, and as I read it, my faith started to go, Vroom. And then I prayed and I spoke. 
And I felt faith rising in my heart. And then I come into the meeting this morning, I still kind of think, oh, I'm nervous, people are coming in, what do I do, Lord? What are we doing here? I don't want a program, I want God to come. And I trust in God that God will do it. That God will work through people. And the, the, re the reason we're in that is because, let's be honest, if God doesn't come here, we are no different from the Sikh temple or the mosque or anywhere else. We're not some place where we just disseminate information. We're here because it's about Jesus. You know, it's always about Jesus. I was chatting with, with my mum this week and we're just talking about conversations that we have with people where they're really disinterested in God. And when you go, they, they say, oh, you know, you Christians are awful. And, and, and it reminded me years ago, I was doing this mission and we we're talking to people about Jesus and this woman came up and she says, you lot are a bunch of liars. I thought, well, thank you. We're okay. And she said, I was told that if I accept Jesus, my life will be wonderful. And as soon as I did, it all went pear-shaped. She says, you guys lied to me. Now, how do you respond to that? Well, the simple answer is that actually Jesus promised a hard life, not an easy life. That is not the gospel. Let me tell you, the gospel is not put your hand up, receive Jesus, and it will all go well. That's not the gospel that we're preaching. And that's not the gospel that Jesus preached. You know, I was told years ago that if it comes to serving God in ministry, it will be stuff that you really want to do. Well, that's not my experience. You know, before God called me, I was a design engineer and I was doing pretty well. And God says, give it all up. And then I remember being in meetings where people were called into missions and said, yeah, I don't want to go abroad, well, especially not to India. And then God said, hey, Simon, why don't you go to India? I said, come on. And then God calls me back to the UK and I said, Lord, I will do anything, but I don't want to be a pastor. And he only opened one opportunity. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because actually we serve God, not ourselves. Now, God has a plan for each one of us. He expects us to work with faith. He says, follow me. But the thing that is really important is that very often we don't understand that when we make a decision to follow Jesus, a process sets into motion. You see, the mistake of our gospel in the last 150 years is that we have insinuated or taught people that when they put their hand up and say, Jesus, come into my life, that is the end of it. They have completed the work. It is finished. And yet my reading of the teachings of Jesus and the apostles is, no, that's when it starts. I mean, it's a new life. We are born again and our life from that point on goes on with God and God wants to use us. And I don't know about you, how many of you really want God to use you? Is anybody? Well, let, let me encourage you today that God will use you but he will do it in a way that will be a bit of a challenge. 
You see, God doesn't call the top echelon of society. This is what we're told in 1 Corinthians. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chooses people from all walks of life. We've seen gifted sportsmen become representatives of Jesus. We've seen illiterate blue-collar workers. We've seen the poor who are in the world's eyes inconsequential people. You know, God chooses all. And and I'm saying that because we disqualify ourselves. Now, folks will say, well, I can't communicate like Simon. He's not going to choose me. You should have seen me at school. I mean, I was not going to win any prize for best communicator. I was in remedial classes until I hit the age of 12. It's just the work of God, that God works. Now, maybe you've said about yourself, who am I that God would choose me? Well, let me tell you a few other people in the Bible who said that. What about Moses, the greatest Israelite of all time in Exodus 3.11 says this to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? In 2 Samuel 7 to 18, the best king that Israel ever had, King David, and it says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? We're all in the same boat. The only thing that makes any difference is our response in faith. Let me tell you that feeling inadequate, saying, I don't have the gift, I don't know how to do it, that does not exclude you from God's call and his assignment. Because God supplies everything that you need. You know, the reason these things are irrelevant is because God remakes us. He recreates us. He takes people, I remember, I can't remember whether it was Smith Wigglesworth, I think it was, he had a stammer. And yet every time he got on the platform to preach, his stammer disappeared and then returned when he got off again. But over time, God healed him. I've heard those stories time and time and time again. We think we've got to come up with the goods, we've got to bring them, and God says no. We think we need to have all the skills, God says no. God says, I will remake you, I will equip you, I will give you all that you need. It does not depend on you, it depends on God, and we need to trust him in faith in that. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. He'll do it. But what he does do is God prepares the vessel. Now, this is not the nice bit. In Exodus 30, we're told this, verse 22 to 29. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, that's a measure, 
and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil, and you shall make of these sacred anointings, uh, anointing oil blended as by a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and basins and stands. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will be holy. Before anything could be used in God's temple, it had to be purified. Everything needed to be cleansed. Now, we can translate that easily into the New Testament because we talk about repentance and forgiveness, but that's not the complete picture. Jesus said this, everything that can stand, no, sorry, this is numbers, um, everything that can stand the fire, you shall pass through the fire and it shall be clean. The crucible the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests the heart. You see, when we become a believer, God refines us. He takes us through a process that removes from us the things that hinder us in serving him. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy and useful to the master of the house for every good work. So how does God do that in us? Isaiah says this, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. The NLT says this in more modern English, I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. Now, here's the thing. I don't know anybody in the history of Christianity that God has used who has not beforehand gone through immense suffering. You remember that song, um, when peace like a river attendeth my soul and uh, the guy who wrote that uh, says, it is well with my soul, Spafford, his name was Spafford. He wrote that on a ship after his whole family had been killed on a ship that sank in the sea. That song came out of a crushing that released a fragrance that impacted the world. And the thing is, we are, it says, the aroma and the fragrance. For some, it's life. For other, it's death. But God does that by crushing us. Now, he doesn't crush us to a level that we can't live or cope, but he crushes us to get rid of all the things in our life that are no good. And you go back to uh, what Dave Pritchard shared about clearing out the attic. That's what God does. Because sometimes, you know... Have you ever had to throw something out for somebody else because they don't really need it, but they're not willing to let it go? I mean, don't tell my kids, but that's what my wife does with their toy box when they're at school. 
She goes in, goes through, they haven't used that for two years, that's going, etc., etc. But if they were in the room, they'd say, no, I want that. And God crushes us. I remember years ago, I've shared this before, but for me it's a very poignant story. I remember years ago, a preacher preaching in a congregation, he was preaching about the fruit of the Spirit, and after the service, a woman came and said, I need more patience, will you pray for me? He goes, of course I will. So he puts his hand on her head and says, Father, give her awkward neighbours. Make her work colleagues the most difficult and the most obnoxious that she's ever had. And she pulls the hand off her head and says, what are you doing? And he says, well, how else are you going to get patience? Because quite often we, we think, we say, Lord, I'm here, just hit me with it. And we're expecting this zap from above and that's it, we're perfect. It doesn't work like that. Every prayer that you pray, where you say, God, will you change me? Will you make me more like Jesus? God says, guys, heat the furnace. (laughs) Now, I know there's a bit of humor there, but there's the challenge to that. Could it be that the current difficulty and stress and stuff you're going through is God at work? Could it be that? You know, there are loads of examples. How do we make a diamond? Well, it needs a massive amount of pressure to form a diamond. And so God takes us through experiences and through situations. And what happens is we are being refined. And this process is called brokenness. And my experience tells you that without brokenness, God cannot use you. How do I know this? Well, Abraham. Where was Abraham's brokenness? For 25 years he had prayed, Father, I want a son. God says, I'm going to give you a son. The son of promise. You're going to be called Abraham, the father of many. Here is your son Isaac. Isaac is born. He turns seven and God says, take your son up to this mountain and put a knife through him and sacrifice him to me. Man. I would have delayed that, I don't know how long. I'm doing it, Lord, but not today. I'm busy. It says very early the next morning, he got up and he took his son. And he walked up that mountain. He told his servants here. And his son said, Father, where's the offering? Man, can you, can you imagine that? If I think of that with James, man, I'd go nuts. But when he did that, something broke within him. I'm holding nothing back to God. And God says, stop. God didn't intend him to do that, but it was a purifying process with him. What about Jacob? Jacob, the deceiver who deceived his brother out of his birthright and out of his blessing, who was then deceived by his uncle for so many years and cheated. He runs away and he comes to this place called Peniel where he wrestles with God. But let me tell you, before he could wrestle with God, the word says that he sent all of his possessions, all of his family, everything he had, he sent to the other side, and then he remained to wrestle with God. And what was the conclusion of that? That God put his hip socket out of joint and he was lamed for life. Brokenness will leave scars. 
But those scars will be the healing balm that helps other people. You know, those who can help those who've lost a loved one are those who've lost a loved one. The rest is often quite platitudes, but somebody who's gone through it, and so what God does is he breaks us, he crushes us. Why? Because he wants us to be a fragrant blessing to those around us. I mean, we come to Jesus. I mean, the man of the cross. We're told in Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. How do we expect to avoid that? Jesus said this, If you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And then he makes this other amazing comment. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. So what am I saying? I'm saying that maybe COVID, maybe the social situation, the things that we face, is the process of God in preparing a people. A people who can do what? Well, a people who can be used by God. You know, the history of Christianity teaches us that the Christians in other generations had it far harder than we currently have it. We think COVID is bad. Well, you go back to the plague. When the plague left the town, there were more people to bury than people left to bury them. You go back to the Roman times when they were thrown to the lions, when they were set on fire as torches, when they were run through with the sword. And you see, the thing that grew the church wasn't the oratory and the preaching. It's a, the thing that changed people was in the midst of a difficult and harsh and severe world, there were a group of people that went around smiling at peace, that blessed and that helped, that prayed and saw miracles. A bunch of people said, how do you do that? And I said, it's quite simple. It's about a man called Jesus. And he's taken away my sin. And he's given me grace and faith so that I can love you and bless you. Let me talk to you about Jesus. And so God is at work. And and I'm preaching this this morning because I know that the times we're going into is not easier. But I don't want you to be in despair because God will use it to bring forth gold. For each one of us to bring forth gold. And and the question often isn't, Lord, why am I going through this? But Lord, can you help me so that I submit to this trial and that I learn the lesson and that I am changed to something better? Jesus, through his suffering, changed the world. The disciples didn't understand it at the time, but we understand it looking back at history. And so I want to encourage you today, your hurt, Jesus can heal. Your brokenness, Jesus will use. But you see, we're a bit like the offering that we put on the altar, and while he turns his back, we quickly get off and leg it. You know, 
we walk away from those things rather than go through them. God will give you choices in life and some of the ones he wants you to make are not the easiest choices. Let me tell you, giving up my job, living by faith financially, going to India for eight and a half years and then coming back, and all, none of those were easy processes. But each of them did something in me that made me more fit for what God has called me to. And if God had said to me at the age 20, Simon, um, I want you to do this, 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 and if he mapped out the whole 20 years, I wouldn't be here. I'd have said, no way. And sometimes God doesn't tell us more than the next step because he doesn't want us to run. But he says, I will walk with you. If you remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who said, you know, we serve God and the king said, if you don't bow down to me, you'll be thrown in the furnace. And, and they said, I'm really sorry, but we serve God and you can throw us in the furnace and he can save us. But even if he doesn't save us, we are not going to bow down to you. And they were thrown in the furnace, three men. They didn't burn up. The king looked and he said, there's four men. And one of them looks like the son of man. And so we find that when we are in the furnace, when we're going through, we are not like Jesus who was left alone. He is with us in that. You know, each moment we can say to Jesus, help me get through this. That's how I get through. I get through by saying, Lord, help me. Lord, give me strength. Lord, help me to overcome. Lord, help me to speak the right words. I don't have it in me to overcome, but Jesus gives me all that I need to overcome. And so I want to encourage you this morning that God has a plan. He will use you. He wants to use you. But you need to submit to what he's doing and you need to apply faith when he calls you to these things. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you because you are good and what you do is good. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I don't know uh, what you're going through but I know that Jesus loves you. I know that this morning Jesus said, fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed because I am your God. And I pray that into you this morning, whatever the pressure of life, whatever the situation in the workplace or in the home or with the family or with the neighbours, I just want to pray into you that you are a son of God, you are a child of God and God walks with you and he will equip you and show you the way that you should go. And so, Father, I pray that over my brothers and sisters. I pray that out of this, that you would raise up many Abrahams and Jacobs and Pauls and Peters and Johns who will do amazing things because they've submitted to the furnace of God, that they have been broken. And as they are broken, as that, that, that jar is broken, this perfume is released and it is the aroma of life to those around them. And so, Father, I pray, would you do it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a really good...